Hello, Logic friends. This episode of the Logic Podcast is brought to you by Cinesis.io. These guys have been my reseller for over 15 years, and we could not do what we do without them. They're fantastic partners, no matter what size your business. To find out more about their remote workflow solutions, check them out at Cinesis.io. The forum is open. If you haven't already signed up for forum.logic.tv, head on over there right now. We have almost 800 users, 65,000 page views a month. It really is becoming the place to go for all things flame and visual effects. That's forum.logic.tv. My guest this week is Bilali Mack, VFX artist and supervisor and host of the Legends of VFX podcast. We sat down for a fantastic conversation about what it means to be a visual effects artist and how the industry is changing. Here's my chat with Bilali. You're hundred percent right. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's funny. I remember, I don't know if we ever discussed our respective ages. No, I'm, I'm much, I think I'm much younger than you. You look well, good though. I'm 29 and you oh, are. I'm 29 as well. Seriously? No, I'm 46. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 46. <laughs> I'm 20. I'm actually 29. Ask him. He always teased me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I forget how much older Tim is than me. I think he's 50. Yeah. I Tim's think. an old guy. Old man. Yeah. Old man Tim. Yep. Old skater. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but I remember like the – it's funny. Like when I look back over the the many decades of uh, my illustrious and storied career, I've um, – I can almost mark it by like, like the changes by um, when certain pillars of like normality fell, you know, yeah. like – it, it used to, I mean, first there was like, everything was, and I started recording by the way. Yeah. yeah um, just in case, I mean, I don't know. I just got hit with the, this might, I just hit, got hit with like this, um, this uh, moment. Like I might say something brilliant. So I wanted to make sure I, I recorded. <laughs> Let's catch it. Yeah. <laughs> um, where was I? Old skater. No. Uh, I remember again, like there were these, the, there used to be these pillars of normalcy. It used to be that, you know, everything was a la carte. Like it was, everything was billed by the hour. So sure, yeah. we could stick around and explore uh, anybody's, you know, brilliant idea, but you're going to pay for it. Yeah, exactly. That kind of went away. And then the only, uh, then the next remaining pillar was uh, the tape had to get to FedEx by like nine o'clock. Yeah, and if it didn't true. get to FedEx by nine, then, you know, you didn't ship or whatever, or it had to get to the yeah. duplication facility. And then, you know, in walks the internet. Yeah. And uh, all that just kind of goes away, you know, and, and you're right. I think that, you know, now that we are firmly ensconced in the new normal here, um, yeah, you, you are kind of expected to just be available all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah. very funny because I always, I think about it whenever I think of technology and innovation and technology, it's like, we're always like racing towards like efficiency and speed, but people don't think about like the consequences that that has on like the artists, the people and, you know, employees and just the industry also in general, you know, at a certain point in time, like if things move so fast, like people just can't keep up, you know, at some point that's when I, you start having fears that like, yeah, well, if it's moving that fast, like, only computers can keep up. They'll, the computers have to just talk to each other, you know, cause people can't <laughs> move that fast and, you know, we have physical things we have to do, like even just like use the bathroom, like mm -hmm. 
yep. or, or, or take a break or eat, you know, like, it's like those things, I feel like if you're optimizing for efficiency could be seen in a weird way as like not efficient. Like, why are you going to eat? Why are you going to use that? I remember I was working at my previous studio. Um, and we, I, I remember one of the things that would frustrate, frustrate me the most was that we would, we would be cranking out these commercials and we'd get them cranked out so fast. It was like, we got to the point where we were doing like full spots, like in like three day turnarounds for commercials, like with some pretty, not crazy heavy things, but like a lot of cleanup, a lot of paint work, maybe a few screen comps and things, but it was like three day turnaround from conform to finish to delivery. And I was just like, I remember when I first started, like we were doing, it it was at least a week, you know, like, you know, like a week for commercial. And now we're like turning them around in three days, you know, it takes a day to conform a really messy commercial. Like, um, and, and I remember that it got to the point where like, I would be going to use the bathroom and I would have producers messaging me like, like, where are you? And I'd just be like, dude, I've been gone for like 10 minutes. I'm in the bathroom. Like what, what am I supposed to say here? Like, Oh, uh, taking a shit. Yeah. <laughs> what are you up to? <laughs> like, so you like you crank all your anti-aliasing up to N or whatever, like the <laughs> highest is, you know, and then, uh, and then unrender everything and then hit render and then go, Yeah. you know, but yeah, it feels like at some point it's like, what? Yeah. Is it, is it, yeah. Like, is it worth it to be it's, doing stuff that fast, be trying to move that fast because like, it's not fun. It's not, I don't think also like for artists that are trying to be creative, it, it leaves very little room for exploration. I think um, oh, totally. that was part of the reason I kind of like push my, I kind of like push myself to kind of move into episodic and film was that like, yeah, I felt like the commercials I was working on anyways, and I were just moving, they were just moving so fast. I didn't feel comfortable like that. I was going to be able to do the best job possible. I didn't feel comfortable that I would not have to take shortcuts on stuff, you know, and it didn't make me feel really good about the work. Not saying the episodic stuff isn't fast, but like, it's definitely more comfortable right now for the shows that I'm working on than commercials are, you know? Um, And that was part of my reason for kind of stepping back from that industry a little bit. You know, I just, I still love commercials. I think I maybe I told you this before. Like for me, commercials, I think I think of them as like a great place to start as an artist because like you get a lot of experience in a short amount of time with a a bunch of different kinds of um, visual effects, you know, tasks and challenges, and um, I think it's just great. It feels like a playground. It feels like um, kind of like if you go to if you go to film school, you get these exercises where it's like you have a ball and you have a man crossing the street and someone has to die in three, three minutes or something, you know, and you and they're like, OK, now tell a tell an award winning story with these three things, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's what commercials feel like a lot to me. So it's kind of like an exercise in creativity when it's when it's really working well. Right. Oh, 100 percent, man. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I uh, you're never working on the same thing twice and uh you have to develop that kind of i don't know if it's like jedi training or something but you have to you have to develop that like it's it's almost i i I sometimes equate doing visual effects for um for commercials 
as like playing a game of chess, a constantly evolving game of chess, yeah. and that you're yeah, always trying to think two or three steps ahead. It is totally not only of like what might go wrong, um, but also like what the client might throw at you as a curveball, based mm -hmm. on like the the bumps and bruises that you you, know, you will carry with you for the rest of your life, creatively speaking. <laughs> um, and then just like a, a, I don't know, you're always, you have to be able to adapt quickly, you know, and, and, yeah. um, but you're, I, I want to go back to, to, to what you, you mentioned before, a couple of things that you mentioned before, because I think you're hundred percent right. You know, um, one of, for me, like you, you had mentioned, uh, the, uh, the, the kind of the breakneck pace, um, yeah. the work that we're doing, how I always have seemed to have less time or you're just told to like, Sometimes it feels like it's an all-out sprint constantly, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I, I sometimes feel that you have like two opposing graphs, you know, like you can graph in on, on two on two lines that go in opposite directions. Um, our equipment has gotten more powerful. The software has gotten more versatile. We can do more. Yeah. Right. And then that's like inversely proportional to the amount of time that is wasted. Yeah. You know, like. There's so much time that's spent exploring ideas because we have to and not because we need to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and that comes at the expense, I think, of, of just the creative process of making it not so much making it great because we always make it great. But yeah, that's, the, that's the giving, like, right? Of course, like it has yeah. to be great. It has to be you know? great. Like, but um, giving not, not just us, I mean, everybody in the process, whether it's like, uh, the crew on set or the, the editor, uh, the colorist, us giving us the time to add to the creative process or yeah, to, exactly. to make it better, to put our, our mark on it. Otherwise mm -hmm. you're right. It's just like an all out mad scramble to get it, to get it out and get it on the air and get on to the next one. Yeah, exactly. Which isn't fun for anyone, you know? And also I felt like that's how mistakes happen, you know, because you don't want the yeah. pressure to deliver, especially with commercials is like the pressure to deliver is like, is a delivery. I mean, now I feel like with more digital deliveries, not as many broadcast deliveries as I, I was doing in my earlier in my career, like I felt like near the end, the deliveries, they were saying they were hard, but then they I'd get a request like, two days later, they'd be like, Oh, can you change this one thing for the delivery? And I'd be like, that's not a hard delivery, like <laughs> the soft deliveries. Like it felt like everything was like a soft delivery now. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's, that's really important. And that's kind of like what I really wanted to have a conversation with you about um, is like, kind of like the role of artists, you know, in the industry that we work in right now in commercials in film and TV, and also just kind of like, as far as like the amount of agency artists should feel like they can have that's one thing I feel like you don't really learn in school or you don't really learn as much as a lot of places unless you work with really talented like artists or visual effects artists that have been doing it for a while and know what know what they're doing you know and they understand not only the craft of it but also you know the the professionalism and the responsibility of an artist um and I think that's one of the things that visual effects artists sometimes don't that I don't think we share that with each other as, as creatives, because I feel like visual effects artists, for some reason, because I think it's it's relatively new as an art form, um, we don't really 
get as much respect, I think, for the craft that we do. I think other visual effects artists, the visual effects artists, totally we have respect for the kind of work we do because we know how much time and effort it takes. But like outside of each other, like me to you, Andy, it's like we understand. But like the the perception outside, I think, is more of like, oh, that's that thing. Like you can just Google on YouTube and do that that green screen thing, you know, yeah. or do some rotoscoping thing. Um, I think that that's kind of like what I really like to focus on a little bit with our conversation is like, it's, it, it's something that I learned from senior visual effects artists when I was coming up the, the responsibility and the professionalism that goes into the kind of work we do, you know, and like, what, what is your, what is your responsibility? And this is, this I actually saw from an interview from, Sam Edwards, who I've, who's a visual effects artist and he's done a bunch of amazing episodic stuff. Um, he did the Cosmos stuff. Yeah, he's on yeah. the Logic Group. Yeah, I love Sam. I always, every time he, he I, I watched a bunch of his effects PhD tutorials. He's a great guy to kind of like listen to about the craft. And I saw an interview that he did um, once on YouTube and they asked him like what was, like what, what he loved about his work and, um, he, he, he had a quote that was like, I think like what my, one of my favorite things is that like as a visual effects artist, I get to contribute to the creative, but like one of my top priorities and responsibilities is um, my responsibility to the script and my responsibility to the story and the content. And I was like, that really rang true to me because I was like, man, that is like, that's it. Like if there's any, if there's anyone that you actually are like responsible, responsible for at the end of the day, it is the script or the boards or the story really that you're creating. Right. That's like your, if there's a hierarchy of importance, uh, everybody should understand that when you're working on a film or a commercial or a TV show or anything, your responsibility is to the story, you know, more so than anybody else. Um, obviously there's politics that goes into any job or any, you know, in TV versus film versus commercials, you've got creative directors, you've got directors, you know, you've got executive producers, but like the responsibility is for the film. And I've been in positions where I've been able to, to get the respect of those parties, executive producers and directors by holding firm to my responsibility to the story rather than bending to something that didn't make sense. And then, but then presenting the reasons why I felt like the choice I was making was important for the story. You know, that's how I've, I've got, I've gained a lot of kind of like credit and reputation for the work I do is that like, I always think, yeah, okay. I obviously want to work with the director and talk to the DP and talk to the executive producer and all these guys make sure, but I always make sure that as far as like my compass that I'm always trying to do stuff that is is in 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 responsible is is responsible to is is I'm doing stuff responsibly for the story you know mm -hmm. I'm doing this this effect that I'm doing even to the point where like people tell me to do something I'll be like we shouldn't do that because it's it, it even though it would be like oh I'm taking money away from the job for our studio or whatever I'm like no that that doesn't make sense we shouldn't do that because that would actually hurt the story. You know, it's not serving the story. And I challenge myself and our other artists to always be trying to think about like, what is the story here of this effect that you're doing? What is the reason you're doing it? You know, you shouldn't just be 
creating stuff just for creating stuff's sake, that's when you have worse. Zack Snyder content. films. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Exactly. exactly. Too soon. No, no, right. no, no. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> but you know, that's how I feel about it. I think that's like the priority one is responsibility to the story as a visual effects artist. Yeah, I, I, I think it's you know, I, as you were describing that, I, I, like I can definitely see that in the in the episodic in the feature world. I was trying yeah. to translate it to to commercials. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's harder for yeah, commercials. Yeah, there's so many. There are so many factors. There's this. I mean, there's the script. There's the boards. There's yep. the the brief. You mm -hmm. know, uh, there's the complete history of the brand. Uh, there's also the politics involved. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I find that uh, you know my, my success in, in commercial visual effects has has been maybe attributed to being uh, a good listener uh, and, and being able to kind of uh, peel away uh, the layers and get to the root of the problem, like the problem yeah. we're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, like like you know, we said a few minutes ago, it has to be great. Like that's yeah. not even an issue. Like, of course it's going to be great. The edges are going to be perfect. The hair is yeah. going to look fabulous. The makeup will be pristine, but what it, it's so maybe, and maybe it's, it's because of the, uh, the compressed time schedule or, uh, you know, the, the fast moving nature of commercial visual effects, but yeah, lots of times you're, you're on the receiving end of, of, uh, you know, of, of an ad emergency, you know, of, a uh, every, you know, the expression is the shit rolls downhill and a visual effects artist is firmly planted at the bottom of said hill, you know, yeah. like, so all this, this train is barreling towards you yeah. and it's so easy to get swept up in the mayhem and waste more time, you know, uh, but, um, I, I find that, you know, in commercials that, that spirit of staying true really like, I, I find also, uh, it's up to me as the artist in the room. And and uh, back back when people went went to rooms, you know, before yeah. the lockdown, <laughs> yeah. you know, you were the there was like a spot. It was almost like you were on stage, like there was a spotlight on you as the artist in the room with clients yeah. behind you, or in front of you with clients there, working in the moment with the clock ticking and everything. The onus was on you to set the tone for the room, you know. Yeah to listen to everybody, to figure out what everyone's concern is, to listen in on the conference call that they're having with their client. So you can try to figure out, you know, there seem to be five different solutions to a problem here. Yeah. And it's really up to you to figure out what the right one is, you know, that stays true to everything. I mean, uh, that's kind of how I always saw my position. For sure. Yeah. I think, I think you're spot on. And, and I found myself a lot of times being like, feeling like I was like Sherlock Holmes or something, mm -hmm. you know, like people would be like, okay, so they want to, to do this, but they're worried because it's going to cost this amount of time. And the director says, he's not sure how this is going to work. And then we're worried about the budget. And I'm just like looking at everything and being like, okay, like, what are they really trying to do here? Like, is the thing I'm doing going to achieve it? Can I do it for less? Is it going to look good? Is it going to look bad if I do it for less? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, at the end, like in having enough conversations, you you end up being able to like push through all of the noise a little bit and get to like what they're actually really want. And I feel like that is a responsibility that um, visual effects artists have, especially lead visual effects artists have. And grow into but also i think it's something that 
um, all creatives probably, you know, you need a sense of reading the room, talking to clients and figuring out, pulling, pulling apart, like the things that they're saying and what they actually mean, because that's when I think you really start feeling like you're coming into your own as an artist is when like client is saying they want something, they're not sure how to describe it. And you're able to read between the lines from what they're saying and give them what they want, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I feel like the level above that is once you're past just reading between the lines, you're almost anticipating before they even say, they say, Oh, we were thinking about something kind of like this. And you're like, okay, I think they want this, but like, if I do this on top of that, I feel like they'll really be excited about that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when you become like, that's when they start calling you back and they're like, Oh, Andy, he like, understands. We want, me. Yeah, we just want to work with Andy, right? Yeah. Like he, he every time we come up with an idea for a thing, he does a thing that makes it look even better that we didn't even think about. That's when you really become like the guy in the room because they're like, Oh, we come to Andy because like we have ideas for stuff and Andy makes it better. Andy yep. adds more things to it that makes it look really good. Um, and that was always what I was striving for. I think I read in a book uh, somewhere, I can't remember the name of the book, but that they talked about delighting, right? Like the delight factor of, uh, oh, it was like a customer, it was like, it was actually like a customer satisfaction book or something. And they talk about delighting your customer. And I, th- I thought, yeah, wouldn't that be a great way to like think of working with your clients for as a visual fest artist, like figuring out ways to do little things to delight them, you know, figuring out ways to do little things that they're unexpected of you know, um, that they really enjoyed. And that's how I was able to retain a lot of my clients and get clients calling me back was like, I was like, oh man, I got to figure out a way to like delight them. I got to figure out a way to add something on top of it, what they're, what they were thinking, you know, that's when you really become successful. And that's when I think people start really coming, reaching out to call you and they're like, oh, we want to work with Andy again. We want to work with Andy. Um, and you start getting a little bit of a reputation, I think, um, and that that was that was something I really focused on, and I think a lot of artists. So you, you have to get to a point where you're not scared. I think a little bit at taking risks because you could you got to put yourself out there to be able to yeah. do something like that. You know, you got to be like, oh, I'm going to try this thing. If it fails, whatever, I might get embarrassed, but if it nail if I nail it, it's going to be so cool. You know, you, you, you save the world. Yeah, yeah. I I, I exactly. feel it still to this day. Like I'll take on jobs uh, where like there, there's an ask you know, whatever it is, a talking animal or, you know, some, something that seems impossible. Yeah. But you know, you just know in your gut that it's doable. Yeah. I don't exactly. know how I'm going to do it, mm-hmm. but I know that it's doable because I know that if I look at the ask and it's really just a bunch of pieces I have to put together. I don't know yeah. what order they go in yet, but I know how to put pieces together, you know, and then you say yes, and then like the, your stomach drops out, <laughs> you know, yeah, you're yeah. like, oh my God, what have I just gotten myself yeah. into? And, uh, and, but that's the greatest feeling in the world for me. The absolute greatest. It's, yeah. it's, it's fear and anxiety and like, and, and, uh, but, but, but what's kind of like, what pushes all that to the side is this, this desire to solve the problem, you know, to yeah. win the race or to, to slay the dragon, whatever, like, you know, cliche you want to put to it. Yeah, uh, I think that's, that to it, me is the thrill that I've mm-hmm. never lost in all these years of doing this. And yeah. what's what's great for me is it doesn't matter what it is. Like, yeah, uh, it could be a, a, a visual effect thing that I've never done before, but mm-hmm. I've heard that people do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it could be like um, uh, uh, a, a logistical challenge. Like we, 
we just started doing episodic stuff and going from you know, a 30 yeah. second spot to you know a thousand shots yeah it's like you know yeah <laughs> uh okay <laughs> uh we'll figure it out you know yeah and, and we and... gotta make a lot of mats yeah. <laughs> you know? but we know how to make mats you know what i mean yeah like, exactly and that, I think part of that as an artist is like, that's like the challenge, right? It's like, as an artist, especially as a flame artist, I think very uniquely um, when you're leading projects and you're working with artists directly, you get that um, kind of like live performance, like adrenaline, you know, you're like, I'm like a athlete on the spot. I got to hit, I got to, I got to make this touchdown. I got to score this basket or whatever. It's like, you're performing on the spot and you're making promises and saying you're going to be able to do this stuff because there've been multiple times I promised things, especially earlier in my career where I was, I was like 10% sure I could do the thing. And I just figured out a way to do it. And I was like, crap, like maybe I can just keep doing this until I actually really fail. And I, luckily I hadn't, I hadn't failed miserably in taking those gambles. But what I did actually achieve was like becoming really, really good at, um, you know, just like forcing myself to get to a result that I, I wasn't sure, you know, I could do. Yeah. And I think a lot of the really amazing work that you see in film and TV, things that you're like blown away by, I, I guarantee you a lot of those guys probably did not know how to do it when they first started. You know, they, they were not like, no one was starting Mandalorian and being like, yeah, we're going to figure out how to do it. We're going to, we know exactly how to do all of this episode with virtual production. It's, we got it in the bag, you know, like, um, I feel like that's part of the adrenaline is like taking those risks and there being a possibility of failing. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember so many times early in my career where, like you said, you know, you had like a 10% idea of how to get something done. Yeah. I remember having like a 90% idea of how it was going to get done and then failing horribly oh. I mean like I uh and but learning le like lessons that you'll never forget like for the yeah, you rest won't. of your no. life no. uh and 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 thank god I made them young yeah I remember one it was a commercial if Tim Crean hears this he will absolutely remember he was there for this failure he will remember this <laughs> uh it was a commercial I think for like a cable company uh, but it was just like, it was a guy, there's a continuity problem. One of the talent yeah. in like a shot that they had to use uh, was wearing white sneakers and he was wearing like black sneakers in every other shot, or maybe they were stealing something from another spot. I, I don't know. Yeah. But I looked at it and said, you know, in my youthful, uh, you know, stupidity of knowing everything, it was just like, oh yeah, well, those shoes are white. I will just key them and make a mat and I will make them black. <laughs> And those shoes, they were like blown out white. They were, it was yeah, like, yeah. I, and I tried it and I couldn't do it. I just, it was, I mean, it was impossible. They were just clipped white shoes. Yeah, like, there's like nothing South there. Park feet, you know. And, yeah, there's nothing there. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember the, the client, when we had to tell him it couldn't be done, after, of course, confidently telling him that it could be them. done, <laughs> he said, like, uh, are you telling me that we can make fucking dinosaurs walk around? and you can't change the color of shoes and it was just like well i can always go work at mom's flower shop uh i guess oh my god i mean she never thought you know she 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 never thought i was adequate i, I guess but you know <laughs> what was the lesson you learned maybe she was right the lesson that i learned was um 
to uh, look with my eyes and think with my brain and, and not be so eager to please everybody. Mm-hmm. Like it's so much like I've, I've tried to tell young artists throughout my career, anybody that I've ever taught or had working with me that, that there are no stupid questions. You never look dumb for saying, yeah. I don't know. The thing yeah. that makes you look dumb is pretending that, you know, and then someone has to come and save you. Yeah, you know, because that's, that's what I did, and that's what yeah. happened to me. You know, I've worked and- with people like that. Yeah, uh, for me, I had a, I've had. Luckily, I'm like very risk averse in that way. But like, I had a moment early in my career like that where I promised I could do something, but it wasn't to a client. It was to another artist. I was like, oh, I could do that. I went in, tried to do it, failed miserably. He was like, you told me you could do it. I was like, I failed miserably. Sorry, I couldn't do it. And the lesson I learned from that was that. If I'm telling somebody I can do something, I want to try it out quickly yeah. before I, I sign up 100%. And that's one of my things I do a lot now when I'm working. I'll say, okay, I think that I think we could definitely try something for that. I just leave it open and I'm like, let me just do a quick test. It'll take like 30 minutes, maybe 10 minutes at most, you know, or 10, 30 minutes. And then I just, I would have pulled that shot in and I would have just tried to key the shoes and I'd be like, okay, this is impossible. We can't do this. And then I would have went back, but that's a lesson I learned early on was like, yeah, leave the door open in those kind of conversations, you know, sound yeah, hopeful, do a test. be exactly. hopeful, do Perfect. a test. Yep. I always sound hopeful. I'm like, yeah, the, you know what? I think we could maybe do something with that. Let me just pull in that shot. Let me pull a still or something in, try something out, and then mm-hmm. we can send a test because you're never going to get in trouble for telling a client, hey, like, if this is not like an immediate emergency, if it is an immediate emergency, then it doesn't even matter, right? Because it's like you're not making a promise. They're giving you something that's messed up and you're just trying to fix it for them. So the best thing you have is what they have to take. But if it's okay. something that it's like, oh, we got a couple of days, you think you can do this? Yeah, you know what? Can you just send me the footage real quick? I'll take like 10 minutes just to play around and see if we can get something working really quickly. And maybe I'll send you a still and see how you guys, how you guys like that. You know, that's kind of how I approach those kinds of, because it gives you a a back door at the same time to be like, okay, that's not working. We're going to have to try a more aggressive approach or something that's going to take a bit more time. Um, And that's kind of like how I I go with those kinds of things. Yeah. I kind of like this um, lessons from VFX kind of, thing we're doing right now this is nice oh totally man yeah i I love i love this i you know i think uh another one of the the challenges or consequences of the kind of breakneck speed of vfx right now is the younger artists don't have the learning opportunities they don't have the opportunities to fail when everything that comes through the door is like an emergency with a one day turnaround, yeah. there's one chance to get it right. You know, it's harder for the young, the, the, the youngins to, you know, get, get those opportunities to, yeah. to learn it to fail. You Dude, know, I totally, I, I totally feel like that. I feel bad about that a lot of times because one of my big things is trying to get younger artists involved um, on, on jobs. But yeah. And I felt like, especially in, like uh, commercials that like when I was working on stuff, like I did, I felt so nervous taking a chance with like a junior artist. Cause I was like, Oh man, there's not enough time for me to like jump off and try to like teach you something while we're trying to deliver this thing. And it's really sad because like, 
you need that time to have a stronger company. You need to have some kind of transition from junior to senior artists. And if you're not giving these guys these opportunities to try things and fail and learn because everything is so tight that you can't risk it, then you're actually, your company is actually suffering. You might not feel it, but like you're not allowing new blood and you're not allowing new artists to come in and bringing their own ideas and new creative ways of doing stuff because you know, guys like us have been doing it for a while. Like not saying that we're like, we have all the ideas in the world, but you need younger, newer people to come in with newer ideas and different ways of thinking, approaching challenges, you know, trying stuff that they saw on YouTube or whatever, even any of that stuff, because you work every day. Like I, I saw some stuff on YouTube. I was like, man, that's a pretty cool effect. I feel like I'm just so stringent and stuck in my like traditional VFX way of doing stuff. I was like seeing people do stuff with like old, it would be kind of like black and white, you know, standard camera effects where you're just doing quick cuts to like make things happen, like old school filmmaking. And the pe- the kids are using this on YouTube and TikTok to do like little visual effects tricks. And I was like, this, this is really clever. You know, they're being inventive. They don't have like all of the, you know, skills of visual effects artists, but they're using creativity and inventiveness. And I was like, man, this is really inspiring. I really wish we could bring in some of these kids to try out some of these ideas that they have, you know, like, and, and my thing is like, it's actually us and as, as an industry is suffering in these studios because these kids are going to end up doing this stuff on YouTube and TikTok, and they're going to post it for their friends and stuff. And they'll end up becoming, you know, like probably great, talented filmmakers and stuff, but wouldn't it be great if they all had opportunities to come to like visual effects studios and shake things up by trying new things and being creative. And I feel like, like you said, because the times are so short, we're nobody's bringing in some person that's never been on the box to try some ideas on a commercial where you're like, the turnaround time is like super quick, you know? Um, But we only suffer as an industry by, by this happening. And I think it's, it's not good. It's one of the things that, I feel like the turnaround times and the pressure that's happening in commercials that often makes me think like um, this is something that's been talked about a lot. I mean, forever in visual effects industry is like a union, right? Like there's no, there's no union or and there's no negotiations between studios and agencies and artists that kind of protects us in, in the ways that, you know, like DPs or, art department or makeup artists or teamsters or any of those other unions that have been around, especially in film and television, you know? Oh, completely. And it's, it's, it's kind of wild. Like you, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, that as, as VFX artists, you know, we're kind of new to the process, you know, I, I, I call bullshit on that. I mean, like, oh, yeah? okay. and I, I say, I say this to, uh, well, I say this to my, to my, you know, colleagues, I never say this directly to the people that really need to hear it, but like, you know, it's the 21st year of the 20, 21st century. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's been a quarter of a century since Jurassic Park. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. Maybe Nobody it's not, does it. maybe it's not new anymore. Like I fully understand and appreciate that someone might not have a full, uh, like comprehension of exactly what, go- like, uh, you know, I was going to, I was going to make a, Oh, typically Andy really long kind of cliche, but like, yeah, I, I don't know how to build a house. Okay. But I know that it's involved and it requires raw materials and, yeah. and, and people in time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
I think that there's been a little too much um, the ignorance played, you know, for the, yeah. the, the ignorance card has been played for too long, I think. Yeah. You know? And Wolf, I know that the, the technology has been evolving, uh, but it always has. But, um, and, but I, I'm tying this into what you were saying about, uh, about a union, you know, I, I've been, I've been, yeah, I've been in the commercial end of this my whole career with the exception of the last two years, maybe. Yeah. And I, I felt, you know, as there's been talk of unionization, uh, or, you know, let me start that sentence over again, as the concept of, 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 of a visual effects union has come up, I don't know, like, I've always felt uh, that I didn't need a union to protect me from my employer. Yeah, yeah, you know? of course. Uh, but I think our industry needs something like this to protect yeah us from the the client essentially you know from from the whims of the, and i don't mean the agency i mean no, no, like, no. you know the 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 multi-billion dollar transnational corporation that for some reason has no money yeah when yeah. it comes to and you can't play then you can't participate yeah right if you don't have the money to do it responsibly and ethically and the way it should be done you can't you know like uh, I think of it that way in, in, in the sense of like industries right now that do the kind of work that have unions like TV and, and film, like if you don't have enough money to do a unionized film, like you can't do it. Like, you know, like that's just it. It's not that like you, you in commercials, I feel like a lot of times like, yeah, I got five grand. You're like, ah, we could try something. Mm -hmm. you know, no, just go do something on your own. Like you don't, don't, and a studio will say, a studio will say, um, yeah, we'll try it. We'll try to do something for like five grand. And you're like, why the hell would we try to do something for five grand? Yeah. You got 10 people that have to work on this thing. And you're going to try to month. do it for, five, for a month. And you're yeah. going to try to do something for five grand. And hope that you'll get that five grand in 120 days. <laughs> yeah, there's you no know? way. Like, you would never do that for a TV show or a film. It's just like, you can't, you can't play, you know, you can work on like, uh, it's a hobby really, right? Those projects should be hobby projects and there's nothing wrong with hobbies and there's nothing wrong with saying that, oh, this is a film that I'm working on in my spare time or with some friends and stuff, or I'm, I'm doing it as like a side project. But like when that gets mixed into real projects that need to be accounted for that uh, at your studio that pays for the bills and takes people's time and resources and there's no protections or safeguards for the artists or the studio itself or even the agency, then that's when you start having this kind of like slow, like decline in quality and amount of time that it takes to do things and three day turnarounds for commercials, because, you know, it just becomes the, it becomes the climate and the ecosystem of the industry that you work in. And this is part of the reason I, got out, I wanted to get out of um, commercials because I had a real strong sense that like this, I mean, I'd, I've been working in commercials for like seven years. And I, and since I started, even in my short amount of time in the industry, I was like, man, I get a sense that this stuff is like going to get worse. And artists like you and other talented senior visual effects artists, like you said, you don't really have to worry, worry, right? Like, it's not like you're, you're, you're going to be like completely, totally, out on your ass if you you know you're talented you got you seen this you ass <laughs> of which you speak of which you speak <laughs> it worries no, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is the ass of a warrior you know, but, I, I just hope you'll that be fine. my, my kids were on fine. the other side of this wall 
heard this is the ass of a warrior and not the ass of a warrior. But I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I digress. Well, you'll be fine. You know, you'll be fine. I'll be fine. Other artists that are talented, for the most part, we will be fine. But like you said, our industry is going to continue to suffer and it's going to squeeze like middle artists. It's going to squeeze junior artists out of the game. Um, it's going to make more it's going to make more work for senior artists and studios are going to take on more burdens before it gets to a point where I feel like it's going to be un it's not going to, it's not going to be feasible to do things at the rates or at the speed that people are asking for. And something's got to give, you know, yeah. you know, something's going to have to give at some point. Um, and, and I feel like most of the times when unions have been formed, it's actually like, it's not an easy thing to do to get together with a bunch of artists and say, we're not going to do this. You know, people have, families they have responsibilities they've got bills to pay it's a scary thing to try to do that and it takes people braver than me to do that kind of stuff you know i remember there was a guy that was like his name i can't remember what his name was but he had a twitter handle that was called like vfx soldier oh yeah right 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 i remember yeah. that. this is a few and years ago a few years ago and he came out um I think he revealed himself, but he was fighting like secretly because of this reason, he, you know, he didn't want to be like blacklisted and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and there have been strides that have been made. I think there are some studios, especially animation. I think animation has a lot of unions um, depending on the studios like Sony, Nickelodeon, all those uh, animation studios, the artists there have unionized, but visual effects, I still feel like is behind the ball. I remember there was a big move in London they were trying to do that at MPC and a couple other places and they got, they got shut down by the studios. You know, they shut it down yeah. basically. Um, I was kind of wondering if like the, the, the entree for, especially the commercial visual effects houses would be on set, you know, like if it was required that if you want to be a VFX supervisor on a union set, then mm -hmm. you have to be a member of a guild as yeah. a VFX supervisor. And then yeah, yeah. now, now here you are as a member of a union working in a non-union VFX shop. Yeah. You know, how are you going to solve that problem? I, that's, that's yeah. And then, you know, we had the guy, uh, uh working, we're, it was at one of the, it was at the mill, right? The mill, was it the mill Toronto or something or Vancouver, the guy who passed away, uh, oh. a couple of weeks ago. I remember seeing that. I didn't see that over Twitter. But just he passed away just because he was on the job. And just, I remember hearing that like a while I, ago. So I, I definitely over my career, no, I know of a couple of people, but um, let me look it up real quick. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's important, you know, because one of the other things is just like, it just, what, what I feel like unions do for industries, I think is it creates stability, you know, and, and, I think some people are afraid that, oh, you create a union, it's going to stop people that are like making 300, 400 grand a year as like visual effects artists or visual effects supervisors. And I'm like, dude, there aren't that many people that are making that much money in this industry right now as an individual artist, you know? And if you are, then you need to just start your own company or whatever if you're billing that much money. Mm -hmm. um, but and dude, call me. Yeah, and call <laughs> me. Yeah, dude, dude, you don't have to worry about because like, union stopping you from becoming the millionaire visual effects artist like that that's not going to happen first off asking you know and i found it i found it um it was a, a guy who worked at the mill in montreal 
uh, committed suicide. Oh shit. I heard about this. I think it was yeah. on like cartoon brew or something. It's just sad. I mean, it's when the, yeah, the pressure is so intense. I, you know, I, 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 uh, I've, I've, think of myself as like that eternal optimist who is constantly disappointed because yeah. he keeps expecting the best or whatever, you know, who keeps yeah. trying to find the, the, the silver lining. And like, I mean, I thought not even thought like for years for like the first solid half to two thirds of my career. Yeah. I let it all get to me. Yeah. You know, the delivery date moved. That pissed me off. The sca- the yeah. cut that was supposed to be locked didn't you know, fucking made me angry. You know, yeah. Uh, uh, it's six o'clock and they just phoned in changes that would make me, um, um, you got to work the weekend again. It's Friday at 5.30 and I need yeah, you to dude. work the weekend. Like, You're giving me PTSD right now. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, no, I, I, I can see it. <laughs> um, like- yep. Well, I, you know, like I, I had, and I swear this will loop back to the union thing, um, maybe in an hour of knowing me, but it will loop back. Is like I had this kind of um, epiphany. I mean, my therapist helped me, helped me out a lot with this epiphany, but I had this epiphany of like this understanding of like, none of that shit's ever going to change. Mm. Ever. So I don't ever go into a situation assuming that the cut is locked, that the delivery date is solid. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I understand that I need to pretend that the delivery date is solid, but yeah. like, uh, so, but doesn't I mean, that mean you're going into it as a pessimist kind of, you're like going into it, like this is, this is going to be fucked basically. Well, but that's, see, that's the optimist. I'm positive that it's all fucked <laughs> <laughs> at all times and in every direction simultaneously. But no, like, uh, um, I, I find that like my approach to the, to the, to the work is, um, you know, my, my producer will come to me and say, we have this job. It's you know 20, it's a 30, which means it probably has 50 shots in it. <laughs> and uh, each shot has more handles than our actual frames that are in the picture. Um, and it, nothing it was, it was shot right. And uh, every it's shot is a different list. frame rate. Every shot was shot with a different camera yeah. in a different color space and different frame rate. We have no time code. And, uh, and you know, and it has to ship on Friday. Dude. Can, can we do that? And I usually say some form of like, well, I mean, do we have a choice? You know? Yeah, exactly. And the producer says no. Is it, well, then yes, we can do this by Friday. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. we can do it by Friday. And now let's talk yeah, about what, we, fucking what suck, we can though. do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It completely sucks. That's the race to the bottom, though. That's why I wanted to get out. Is like I don't want you, 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 and that's how you feel, right? You don't want to feel like you're like, okay, yeah. And I would say the same thing to my producer. I'd be like, so like, can we push back? And he'd be like, no, not really. Like we have to do it. And I'd just be like, then why are you even talking to me? Yeah. Just, just come and say, hey, this is the job you have to do. Good luck. You know, just yeah. walk out the door. Well, what I try to do, and again, like I get it, like I. 
that's my favorite thing to say that I don't think anybody ever hears is I get it. Like, I get it. I get it. I get it that we, we, we have to meet our number this month and I get it that we can't push back any harder and I get it. So then let's tell them what they can have on Friday. Yeah. Let's do a test. Let's yeah. show them a couple of shots, you know, because they're running around and screaming that, you know, everybody's face has to be replaced when really what's bothering them is that five people smile too much and the other two people, you can see a reflection in their glasses. So, yeah. Yeah. Let, you know, like, let's talk this through and let's really drill down. And then what you have after that first round of conversations is a list. Yeah. And, you know, and priorities. That's one thing I learned early. It was that, okay. I would, I would say, I learned this from another artist. I would say, okay, well, you have 10 things that you want to get done. I'm telling you, if we want to do all 10 of these things, we won't be able to make the deadline. (laughs) Right. So let's start from most important to least important and see where we end up. That's basically what my give would be. And, and inevitably, if, you, if you're upfront and honest with the client, I would just be like, hey, listen, like, honestly, I don't think we can do this unless we get more money. And nobody wants, I would always do more time, which inevitably means more money. And I'd just mm-hmm. be like, we don't, I don't think we have enough time to do all of this. What's your priority list? And we'll work our way through it. So it, already it's like, as a relationship thing between me and the client, we've established, listen, I'm on your side. I'm telling you the reality of the situation. And we're working together to figure out what's the most important things we can get done. Because like you said, the agencies also are running around with their heads on fire, you know, like the creatives, the producers on the agency side, they're also like, listen, man, like, I don't think we could do this in this amount of time. Can you, can we work together and figure out how to get this thing done? And the best, the best relationships I've had with clients have been ones where we felt like we were both on the same team. 100%. 100%. You know, you want to be, you want to be like, we're both collaborators. The The end goal is to finish this thing, make it look good and get it out on time. Um, and we're both trying to hit that together. So I'm just being honest on my side, you know, the, the, the a poisonous relationship as an artist is like when you have one where the client thinks that you're like hiding something mm-hmm. and you're trying to protect yourself or something, just lying about doing the thing that they're asking for. That's a terrible way to go into a, a job or a commercial or any kind of, you know, relationship as like an artist. Um, yeah. I yeah. had, I have, I was just, I was laughing uh, to myself uh, because I, I actually had this conversation with, with a client uh, two weeks ago. They wanted to do something that was completely, it was, it was total change in direction, everything we'd be building towards. And, you know, they want to do something totally different. And of course, you know, no time, no money, no yeah. everything. So here we are. We're here. We are at this inflection point in the universe of, you know, how are we going to figure this out? And yeah. uh, they asked. Uh, I was on a Zoom. I, maybe it was because I was in shorts and I was in this room and I felt comfortable and safe. I don't know, but like, they asked me, uh, "What what do you think the most cost-effective way to to do this? You know, this shot is?" And I said, "Well, I, the most cost-effective thing to do is." is to not do it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, let's be honest, you know, like, you're like, yeah, you're just going to lose money on this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that's it right there. Oh, I know what it it was like. They had, they wanted to do it. Use like a different take. They had a take and it was like, everything was rotoed and cleaned up. It's when he was a different take. And we were talking about head transplants and taking part of a body and everything, you know, what's the most cost effective, cost effective way to do this. Well, don't do it. Yeah, no, for sure. But I was able to at least say it in a way where like everybody laughed. You know, like they like 
we we I think maybe that just speaks back to like being able to read the room or read the Zoom at that point of just like exactly. that I wasn't what I said there wasn't taken as anything it wasn't taken as rude or obnoxious it's like let's let's bring up whatever it, the elephant in the room you know like yeah. we we really shouldn't be doing this yeah you know at the end of the day I think what is it you have like 1.2 seconds to get somebody's attention before they thumb past this thing on like their Instagram feed exactly. And so that, what that's we're talking about here really isn't probably going to sell more chicken sandwiches in Wichita or, or whatever, like, you know, it is you're trying yeah. to achieve here, you know? Yeah. No, totally. Um, and, and I wanted to me, ask you. Yeah, go oh, for sorry. it. Okay. No, go for it. But circling back to, the, you know, the whole thing about, you know, uh, unions and the race to the bottom, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're really um, here in the whole, you know, COVID world, this new normal of ours, we're really like on the, the we're, we're living through unprecedented accelerated change. And yeah. what I'm really curious, the eternal optimist who's always disappointed is wondering, are, are we about to find our way out of this mess? And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. It's, it seems yeah. like, you know, and some of these things aren't, aren't reality yet. I'm just throwing it out there, you know, Sure. Um, you've got uh, you've got machine learning and AI tools that, in the hands of a capable artist, free you from a lot of of costs and time constraints. And not even just AI and ML tools. I mean, like the tools are getting so much better that you know what used to require ten people doesn't require ten people, and yeah. the cost of equipment isn't the cost of equipment anymore. And now, I mean. I've been blown away at the remote workflows. You know, I was um, testing for a friend of mine, you know, a remote workflow solution that he built himself to, you know, I was running a, a machine of his across the country, you know, like from my guest room. And so in order to serve the needs of a client as an artist, you used, there used to be so many barriers to entry, you know, the software yeah. was expensive. The hardware was expensive. The physical location was expensive. Uh, a lot of the asks were time consuming, but it seems like so much of that is changing so quick right now that like, let's say the company that you work for or the company that I work for, because of all these advancements can realize a tremendous, um, like lowering of their cost of doing business. Well, that helps, right? Yeah. You know, and yeah. maybe as an, if you're a freelancer or an individual artist working by yourself, you now have access to uh, other people all over the world and, you know, secure ways to access data, you know, yeah. and, uh, and there are things that you can do as an individual that you never could do as an individual before. Yeah. Is, is, is there a possibility um, that through all this change that's happening so quickly, we can't appreciate it? is the pendulum swinging back and i mean this you know for the artist or for the creatives i you think know, fighting against these behemoths that we these these tremendous forces that we've all been crushed by time yeah. and budget and changes and everything um, yeah i would I say know. okay i would say um no <laughs> <laughs> we've been talking with with complete idiot andy Belkis. <laughs> i would say hopeless optimist uh, <laughs> I think, no, I think hope, the hope for that, um, 
is true. And I think what you're probably seeing and saying um, is a possibility, right? But let me put it this way. I feel like in, in my experience, you know, um, that generally I've always felt that whenever whatever technology improves and innovations improve um, and, and, you know, and barrier to entries improve. One of two things that I feel like happens is that client expectations also increase. Um, So I I definitely believe that, yes, there was a point where like we get AI um, artificial intelligence that helps us do things like keying or doing roto or creating mats faster. So now 25% um, increase in efficiency for artists when it comes to doing anything with mats, right? Or roto. Um, eventually, I believe that the, the clients will realize that the amount of time it's taking to do this thing is going to be less and their expectation will also increase right mm-hmm. it's not like we are yeah you know, it's not like um we're not incentivizing them right like when once we improve our efficiency by 25 percent, i doubt there will be very few very many studios or artists that are going to be like okay i'm doing this 25 percent faster there's a tax on this right and i try to think of these things in kind of like a so like a semi-economic and economical status because i think that's one of the problems of our industry is that like we we think of ourselves more so as artists and we don't look at our industry uh, as from an economic status or from an economic or a business kind of like view right like more more often i feel like all of the improvements that have happened for us since people were taking two or three days to render things in flame for like you know, one comp and going off and grabbing beers and coming back and waiting and seeing those things. More often, I think the expectations have matched the improvements and innovations that we've seen or, or even gotten higher, right? Like people's expectations are even more higher with the amount of time the technology sits with the society or the amount of time it sits with clients. Their understanding becomes more involved and they have expectations that become more involved because you have young creative directors at um, agencies that are YouTubing like how to do like a green screen key. And they're like, Oh, but I just saw an after effects. I, I, how many times I had art like agency creatives come to me and be like, Oh, but I saw somebody do this thing in after effects in like 20 seconds. Can you, why don't you just try it using that? That'll get us like 75% of the way there. Right. So I think the expectations are going to increase with um, the innovation. I think, I think it was Ed Catmull from Pixar that said he had there, you know, that how there's Moore's law, right. Which mm-hmm. is that like the computing power doubles it's like every year. Right. Months. Yeah. Ed Catmull, I think coined the phrase from Pixar, which is like Catmull's law, I think, which was that clients expectations will also double as compute power doubles. Right. <laughs> um, so we find ourselves in a place where from a business standpoint, we are, our technology is improving, but we're not, disincentivizing clients from taking advantage or we're not putting a tax on that improvement. I think that's one of the things that really we suffer from as artists is we don't have a really clear understanding of like, okay, we are getting faster and better, but like what happens when it takes one, what, yeah. What do we do with that? What happens when it takes five seconds to create a comp? Does that mean they're going to pay us 10 cents? Like, 
what you know if you think about it logically like they're like and we're we don't charge for the faster and better our technology eventually it's going to be like okay well it takes you 30 minutes to finish a commercial we're going to pay you 30 minutes worth of time you know eventually obviously that's outrageous but like if it gets to the point where commercials are being finished that fast economically like if there isn't a way that we're billing or charging for that that efficiency that we're bringing into our industry the client is just going to continue to charge less eventually they'll be getting like 50 commercials in one day you know like um so that's my fear with that and part of that is is that i feel that's where unions and that's where you know us establishing rules and regulations as an industry helps protect us from that you know there are even though the computers have become 10 times faster, we still have to plan and we still have to do this. So like you have to, you, you're not allowed to just, we don't just charge based off of that, you know? And I think part of this is us really as an industry looking at the way we, especially for commercials, I think looking at the way we bill for, you know, really looking at the way we're billing and charging for work, you know, that's one of the things I feel like is, is suffering because how many times have you worked on something where, it's like all this free pitch work, especially commercials. It's like we, we've gotten into this point where like agencies have so much power when it comes to being able to get you to do so much free work and they're bidding against each other. And this has been one of my big things about the way we bid in VFX is the, the double, triple bidding against other studios and, and doing free pitch work. It's just not a sustainable, it's never felt like a sustainable model for me because that time still people have to put in that time to do those things. Right. Um, and what I do think though, what I do think positively for individuals that these innovations will create is that you will have incredible visual effects artists that can put in the time and can leverage these resources at a point where the, the, the amount of money that they can save a client is worth that a hundred thousand dollar 30 second commercial they can do for fifty thousand dollars and for one person doing a fifty thousand dollar commercial in you know two weeks or whatever or a week with the technology that is giving them get capability is going to help them be able to sustain and actually probably you know thrive um i think it definitely does allow individuals the capability to become uh, much more powerful. And I think we'll see an industry of visual effects artists and creatives that are much more individual freelancers that can take on jobs on their own. I think what the studios will suffer competing against really talented visual effects artists that basically would be like, well, what's the point of me joining a studio when I actually can do this on my own with, you know, a $10,000 machine and everybody's at home anyways, you know, what is what is the draw of being like working at a studio? You know, um, mm -hmm. I can, as long as I can build those relationships with clients and I can show the work that I've done, I can take advantage of these, um, these innovations and in technology and leverage that for me to make more money. And I think that's, that's the hope and the positive aspect of it. But for people that are working at studios, I think it's going to continue to be a, drive kind of like to the bottom. And I'm I, by no means, I'm not like calling myself like a visual effects economist or anything, but like, this is kind of like what my gut makes me feel unless there are kind of these barriers and protections and 
you know, we have rules as an industry on how we're bidding things and how we are, you know, working on things and protecting each other as an industry and kind of, and it sounds like people, people always feel like when you talk about these kind of things, like collective bargaining agreements between studios, it feels like, oh, they're, they're trying to form a monopoly and stuff. But I think it's actually, it's not, you know, it's like you, you have to agree that there are some ground rules or else we're all going to be racing to the bottom. But Mm -hmm. for, for a time, I think a lot of visual effects, individual artists will be able to make some good money. They'll be able to create awesome work for, with, with minimal compute power, you know, they'll be able to do more and more where you're seeing these like small studios that are like two or three senior artists, you know, and like blacksmith and a lot of these places that are like free and, and, and the, um, the proliferation of, uh, uh, of freelance outsourcing work, especially for commercials, because there aren't tax incentives, you'll see that, you know, three guys can get people to do a majority of their roto paint work and they can do all the fancy creative stuff and make it look good. As long as you have really talented, smart, creative artists, senior artists. Um, I think that's where the industry will shift more. You get like three or four guys that are creating their own thing, drawing in clients with like some sexy stuff that they're posting online. You'll, you'll see younger and younger agency people that are like, yeah, I want to work with that young, cool guy that posted some TikTok VFX videos, you know, like that would be really cool. And I think more, more often I've had the idea that like visual effects studios will have to, or visual effects, you know, uh, boutique studios will have to become more like brands, you know, they'll have to be this. And, and I feel like that, some of the studios that I've seen that have done a really good job at it, um, are places like the mill, you know, the mill has always felt like a brand and mm-hmm. they've been able to draw in a lot of clients because of that. But I think with social media, uh, smaller studios can kind of like compete in that level as well as like put some cool shit out there and just become a brand as a visual effects studio, you know? Um, and that's kind of where I see it going. I think, unfortunately it's going to be it, that, that, that innovation is going to allow under um, freelancers and, smaller studios to compete even more with bigger studios and they're just going to cannibalize that part of the market, you know? Yeah. You know, the, the chief creative officer at, uh, at Lively where I work has a mantra and that is um, there's never been a better time to be uh, exceptional mm-hmm. and there's never been a worse time to be mediocre. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, uh, in, in, in what, what, what might end up being a failed attempt to, <laughs> to rescue my, my last, you know, my last rant on, uh, on hopes for the future. I, um, I found over the last 18 months, let's say, that I've been focusing on, um, on exactly that, on like, what can I do to, to be exceptional, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and everybody has their own formula, you know, for some it's creating a social media brand and, mm-hmm. uh, and that's great. You know, that certainly is the language of the, of, of the age, you know? Um, but I've found, you know, I've questioned every single bit of our pipeline and workflow, you know, uh, small and large. Yeah. Of like, why are we doing this this way? Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you know, especially when you speak about economy or the economics of, of visual effects, every pixel has a has a cost associated to it. it does yeah, absolutely. You know? um, and so I've tried to, you know, I've tried to look at, at things that I can do today 
and things that I might do tomorrow um, that, that keep, I mean, me as an artist, as a creative on the kind of the bleeding edge, but maybe also us as a company, um, you know, ahead of the curve. Yeah. Uh, like where I work, we don't, we're, I mean, our company has been around for almost 40 years, I believe, but we're not the mill, you mm -hmm. know, or frame store or MPC. We don't have those kind of resources. Um, so what I've tried to do is leverage what we do have. And that is, you know, exceptional people and, uh, and, and, and unique approaches to getting the work done, you know, um, I'm so like, I, I, I geek out. I'm so inspired by some of these advances in computing, uh, not, not for maybe the, the, the reasons other people are, but like, um, I look at, at like our, our, our render farms and our, our servers at work as untapped resources, you know, yeah. like I've, uh, I've, I've given a lot of thought to, um, like what if kind of thought experiments, you know, for the kind of work that we do, like I, I, I work hand in hand with editors, you know, like we have editors in our company in our, in our company mm -hmm. and, and I finish the work, you know, what if I had, uh, what if I wrote something, an app or whatever that monitored of what footage was currently in the cut, you know, what's currently in the cut right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever that is, let's start, let's start processing that stuff. You know, at night when no one's using this shit, mm -hmm. you know, let's make mats for everything. Efficiencies. Let's, yeah. let's denoise everything. Let's yeah. pre-render motion vectors on everything. I mean, these are small little, I mean, they're small things. I mean, they're small components of the big visual effects ask, but just like. No, but I mean. So that way, I, like when the, like when the time comes to actually start, like, you know. Yeah. You're saying about like the 25, you know, if I made this 25% faster, will my client to, you know, um, uh, will their expectations grow, you know, yeah. uh, in accordance is like, how can I stay ahead of that curve? You know, mm -hmm. not just with efficiency, but just like even, even creatively, like I, I yeah. love nothing more than, uh, than learning a new tool or a new technique. Yeah. Um, Sometimes well, just for that. the sake of learning it, but also yeah. like going, ah, oh, you know, I could use this and it could save me time here or there. Or if I did yeah. this every time, it would save me that, you know, it would, it would, I, I guess, you know. But you need, I think you need that to stay around for, that's like the, 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 that's like the base level. You need that kind of like always trying to improve on yourself to be able to stay relevant in this industry. You know, if you. Oh, completely. Yeah. Completely. You Otherwise you just get stale or just, yeah. you know, you just get obsolete. I mean, that's just. Yeah. You become obsolete. You get pushed out of the industry, right? You can't get, you can't keep up. And so you have to, it's, it's very competitive in that sense in that like you always have to be on like the bleeding edge, like researching, trying new things, you know, doing R and D. But what I love about what you said previously, like, was that that mindset of, yeah, what if we did have like motion vectors rendering overnight? Or what if we did like have denoise running? It's like, that's a, that's a person that has a sense of, you know, like business acumen and like how to, how to utilize every piece of resource that you have, especially while people are doing nothing. And that's how you compete really. Right. It's like, imagine if you came in and every shot that was in the cut had 
a denoise that you could just pull up already done, you know, had motion vectors for every shot already rendered out that you could utilize, you know, every shot was already tracked, even tracked, if you need yep. to use it or not, you know, you had match moved every shot that had movement, you know, and those are things that you could use artificial intelligence to like look through the edit and be like, Oh, like every shot that has movement, do an automatic motion track, you know, like do a match move for each shot in the edit that has some movement. If it's locked off, leave that alone. And that's, that's ways I think that if you be kind of being clever about, we can stay ahead of the curve of that efficiency. But I would say on top of that, we still need to make sure that we protect ourselves. And, oh, hundred percent. I know, like I'm, we, I'm thinking like a two pronged approach while this is yeah. happening over here, let's work on this over here. You know? Yeah, exactly. Because I remember the very first time I got uh, roto and tracking back it was for an episodic that I was working on where like, mm -hmm. <clears throat> where I either, you know, either, either someone else at the company did it or we outsourced it, but I got the, I got the work back. And so I sat down to do a shot, whatever it was. I mean, we're getting rid of street signs or something, you know, yeah. whatever it was, I started boom, minute one with roto and tracking. And it was yeah. like, I feel like I'm whatever time I've allotted to do this, the three and a half hours I bid or yeah. whatever is going to be three and a half hours spent being creative Yeah, and not, you know, making it look good. It, that's all that I have to do is make yeah. it look good. Yeah. You know? And so like, those are the kind of things that keep me motivated to get me excited. Yeah. I look at sure. these advances, you know? Yeah. Even, even if the, even if, the, the the AI tracking or roto or whatever the hell you know that's done on every shot over isn't great. Mm -hmm. Is it good enough to figure out if I need to make it great? Like, is it good enough to yeah. to not waste that time experimenting? Exactly. Like, how would that revolutionize the 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 pitch work that they're only giving me twenty five hundred dollars for? And that's what I think it can be very helpful for. You know, if it's a lot of this nonsense pitch work or these speculative things that we're doing like i think this auto tracking auto mat creation you know auto comp stuff or whatever obviously i don't know if there's auto comp but like all of that kind of stuff is like should be good enough for like look dev and for quick you know mock-ups to send stills or whatever that's where i think you can really probably find if you're looking at your business closely mm -hmm. you can really find ways to cut costs it's like yeah why are we paying someone to roto this thing? Use that auto roto plugin. Tell them the edges are going to look like that because you're not paying to have us finesse any edges for you. You know, like we're not, you're not paying to get a perfect track. We're just, this is just so that you can look at something. So we're not, it's like, look, Dev, we're not, we're not making this thing perfect yet. We're just putting ideas out. We're playing right now. And we do that with our quick AI look dev tool set, right? That's how mm -hmm. we do that. And then we finish it off, you know? obviously I think you want to make sure that those, those things, those, you want to create a pipeline that allows you to use the AI tools to create the foundation or the idea and try to see if you can translate as much of that work into your actual production pipeline um, as possible. So you're not wasting any of that time. But, um, but yeah, I think that, that, that stuff is fantastic. You know, I think, but definitely one of the things I've, I've struggled with in our industry is just, when you look at a lot of industries, you're like, damn, man, we really get taken advantage of from a business model standpoint, you know? And one of the things you said to me that kind of rang true is when you were saying, oh, like, yeah, they did this thing. And then they wanted to change the idea halfway through. And I feel like 
there are so many businesses where that like that is completely unacceptable. You know, you can't like you were saying a house thing. You can't build a house halfway through and be like, yeah, we want to change the house. Yeah, you and can't say I'll be, know it when I see it. Yeah, exactly. I'll know the house when I see it. Just start working on it, you know? And for for us, part of the problem is because, yeah, we do work in computers and, and it is easier, like I'll be honest, it is easier to change, you know, a shot than it is to, um, to, to destroy a house and start from scratch, you know, but like the thing that I always think about is that time, you know, it still takes Mm -hmm. someone's time to have to start over and time that was lost working on a thing, you still have to pay, you still should have to pay for that. There's no world oh, where like, yeah, the, but, but a lot of the times people are like, Oh, let's change this halfway through. And there's no respect to the amount of time it took to get to the first half that we, we did together. You know, you're just like, Oh, but just, we're just swapping it. Right. It's just in the computer. You're like, no, I already spent all this time to start this. If you're just changing the color of a sweater, yeah, maybe we already have that set up to change the color of the sweater. But like you want to go from having a butterfly flying into the shot to having a dragon stomp through the shot. Like it isn't a computer, but it still took so much time for us to create that butterfly. And now to have to create a dragon that has to or a dinosaur that has to walk through the shot. You know, that's unacceptable. And, And I think that's one of the things that leadership at a company and you know, as a, as an industry, we have to kind of have a little bit of a backbone and be like, no, like, and respectfully, you know, it's like, Hey, we're, this is a business. We're running a business. Like we, we can't do this because we, we would have gone out of business doing work like this all the time, you know? And I understand, I think a lot of times studios get taken advantage of because we think ourselves uh, more as creatives and no one wants to really focus sometimes on the business aspect because, I don't want to focus on the business. I, yeah, I just want to sit around playing with pixels all day. Like, but you know, like I, you have to, you have to be able to pay for a living and you have to make sure that there are things that are protecting you as an artist so that you can have that fun and, and not lose your mind, you know, and not, not feel so stressed out that you're going to try to kill yourself. You know, the fact that that happened is so goddamn sad, you know, and that's, that's like, that should be a huge wake up call for people in our industry. Like, you know, goddamn, it's still happening. The, these kinds of things are still happening, you know, like we're hearing the, when you take the value out of the work, then it has, I mean, then there's nothing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and for me, it's like, yeah, we, and, and I know that I'm lucky to be able to do the kind of work that I'm doing. And we are all lucky as creatives to, we, we do these jobs and we're not like garbage men or we, we're not like accountants, you know, we, we get a certain amount of creative joy and it is a fun job when everything's going well and we're enjoying what we're doing. But at the end of the day, it also is a job and people need to be treated fairly. They need to be respected for their time the same way you do for architects or for doctors or accountants or lawyers, or whatever. A lot of these industries that have been around for a long time have managed to protect themselves from clients. You know, they've, they've managed to protect themselves as an industry. And this is one of the things that I feel like the, the, the ship like started off and we were making, people were making so much money and it was so fun and they were doing it. It was so fast that nobody kind of thought like, Oh, maybe we should put like seatbelts in a, in, in, <laughs> in this car, like, you know, or maybe the car's going 300 miles an hour. They're like, maybe we should, we should have put some seatbelts in and some airbags. Um, mm-hmm. 
you're just having fun. You're just enjoying the joyride. I knew when I was starting, I had a friend of mine that was a conform artist. Literally, he was a smoke artist. And he told me that when he was working in like the late 90s or early 90s, that they were, he was making like 300 grand a year. Had the agencies were, they were paying for limos for him to be driving back and forth from his house in Long Island. Like he had his own room. He had all these Gibson guitars. Like he was like a rock star. And he was just a conform, conform finishing artist, you know? There's no way that business model could sustain now. And if we had, I feel like protections in or slowly put in some protections for artists when things were that high, you know, we would have a more balanced industry, you know, yeah. more about ba- obviously it wouldn't be like, you know, you, and you might, and the thing you have to, I think you have to think sometimes, yeah, maybe, maybe it wasn't sustainable for us to be having, conform artists making 300 or 400 grand and just throwing burning money at them to go flying back and forth. But the, the money was there. People were paying it and people were having such a good time and they didn't think that any of this was going to go away. You know, you didn't think that it was going to go away in the way it was and people were making a lot of money. So I think of it kind of like, as like the, like any other bubble, you know, it's like, like a housing bubble or something, you know, and you're not thinking that the, the ride could end, but like it has ended. It will. <laughs> yeah, it ha- it's ended. And, it and now people are trying to figure out ways to curve. Nobody's getting into advertising visual effects, thinking they're going to be a millionaire. You know, you're not going to be that like millionaire colorist at this point. That's that is billing like millions and millions of dollars. There's too much competition. You're not going to buy a Hamptons house and, drive off there in the weekends and do color up there and just be a millionaire like some some artists that were doing that when early onset of our industry the money is just not there um, but stay in school kids yeah stay in school for sure <laughs> for sure reach for the stars reach um, for the stars yeah i i have a, a, a family friend who worked in the production end for years like yeah like he was he was like on set all the time back in the 80s like that's what i mean like yeah he, wild. He he described it to me once as um, <clears throat> there used to be honor amongst thieves, you know, yeah. like, yeah, we were making money hand over fist and we were working our fucking asses off, too. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the the the, the bottom start, you know, the, people started to compete against each other, you know, whether it was like, you know, uh, lowering your markup or mm-hmm. um, just making compromises that you normally wouldn't or shouldn't. Exactly. You because know, it's no, just a slippery no slope. One, like you start down yeah. a path that like. Too slippery. Is, no, is one, no one got together and was like, okay, well, right now, like we're making like $5 million or whatever on a commercial. Like what happens if we keep doing this and we get to a point where commercials are only a hundred grand? For mm-hmm. per commercial no one's thinking that you know i recall from watching tv back in that time um there was a lot of cocaine being consumed it was uh, a lot of cocaine. so i was too, i was not in the business at that time i just want everyone <laughs> listening to this i want all five people listening to this to, yeah exactly to, uh all to five of understand you. yes well i mean at the simultaneously you know uh, <laughs> obviously it's a much broader audience but uh i i don't know i i, I think you might be right i think maybe there was a there was a, a, a belief that this would never end or yeah all you needed but all you needed was like a couple couple studios or whatever a couple of guys the big wigs in the industry to come together and be like okay 
maybe we should create some kind of ground rules for us to play by. You know, the money's here right now. Maybe we could figure out a way to do this sustainably. We don't allow people to to work past this amount of time. Maybe we create that you have to pay overtime for this, this and that. We won't work for free, you know, and bidding and th- bidding things for free. You create some kind of, you know, organization, union or whatever that we're kind of talking about to protect each other for the future. And um, we'll see where it goes. It didn't happen, know. though. Do you have the I have no idea. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I wonder why it didn't happen. Like why again, we had the benefit uh, in this industry of seeing all the other industries go through this battle, you know, like you yeah, said, every yeah. every other aspect of uh, of like filmmaking or whatever. They've all done it. This they've all done they it. We're the only ones and I and it's so annoying because I go on set so much and there's so many times where I'm talking to like, you know, camera crew or I'm talking to art department and they're just like oh yeah, what union are you guys? And I'm like, dude, we don't have a union. There's no union. I'm just out here on my, on my own. Some shit goes down. I'm done. You know, like <laughs> I lose a leg. I, 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 hopefully my company has good enough insurance. You know, we don't have pensions or any the of that. Lost leg insurance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that lost leg was a pre-existing condition. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the thing, you know, all these other guys went through it and I talked to some of these, guys that are in these unions and they're like man how can you guys just they're so they're like the the craziest thing to me is that there's so much it's it's annoying because so much of the work now is moving towards visual effects like we Mm -hmm. do so much of the actual final if there was a way to count like per dollar how much uh of the work on screen is coming out of visual effects like per pixel like we do, I would say that 50% of the pixels that you see on the screen have been touched by visual effects. Oh, augmented, it, it, even it, more. It, it, a, that's a low number, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. You know? And for heavier well, visual why, effects like, films, obviously that's like 90%. Like yeah. Avengers, the whole, there's the, like all of Hollywood, there's an entire genre of superhero films that is built on the backs of visual effects industry. And you're just like, we have to be the biggest suckers out of every. <laughs> every other department in the filmmaking business that we do so much of the work that people actually see and come to watch and get almost nothing out of it. Maybe it's we're, because we're, we're all so tired. Each other. You know, maybe it's because yeah. we're all so tired. Yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> We've been beat up so much. No one can fight to, to do anything, you know? I mean, like, I, hey, I, 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 I seriously don't mean to, to make a joke. I'm not, but like you're, you're it's like why I said uh, earlier, you know, it's the 21st century of the 21st year of the 21st century. Yeah. This ain't new. You know no. what I mean? And, and this the is the first that, time. Like, that we're still listed in the credits after like the, and I'll do respect to them, but like the, you know, the people who drive vans, you yeah. know, and I love them and they do a great job and they're, they're amazing citizens, but like yeah. guys, yeah, you know, like, we make up the most names usually in the list. Yeah. And, and they go and the it, fastest and they're the smallest fucking point face. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like it's one of those things that like between the in the businesses, like the NPCs, the frame stores and all these companies that you would hope that they would be like, damn, maybe we should get together and like negotiate some kind of contract with these studios because we're doing this majority of the work. But I don't I just don't think the that if they were smarter, maybe they would have gotten 
ahead of it and figured out a way to negotiate some better terms for the amount of work they're doing. And maybe they are, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they have been working on it. Maybe MPC does have some kind of contract where it's like, we get this amount of work, but I don't feel like it, it doesn't feel like for the amount of work, the people that are getting the liar's share of the, the recognition and the money, I don't think it is proliferating to visual effects industry. You know, you would think for the amount of visual effects work that goes into the films and the shows that we watch, that the visual effects industry is probably the highest paid, you know, like most sought after and most, most benefited department in filmmaking, but they're not at all, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, we all watched, uh, was it Digital Domain go out of business? No, I'm not Digital Domain. Rhythm and Hughes go out of business. Rhythm and Hughes, yeah. As they, as they were accepting the Oscar for the Oscar. Uh, Life of Pi, you know, like. And it doesn't seem like it's changed very much from watching that happen to now, you know, and it's it sucks but yeah maybe maybe it is like it feels like a lot of people just don't want to don't want to fight this fight because it's a big fight this is not it's, it's yeah it's, a, it, it's, a it's the kind of fight, fight you, you you need to try to I, unite the visual effects industry to against studios against, against agents well, that's the thing yeah when you against, only have five clients in the world yeah, exactly. yeah. you know <laughs> what are you gonna do you mm -hmm. know what i mean like uh you're 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 kind of you're kind of in a bind. I, I don't, I honestly, it's a shame. I, I really, I don't know the answer. Yeah. Um, I don't it know. feels like it's a game of leverage, isn't it? It's like, totally. Who has more leverage in negotiating to try to get more favorable terms that would I wonder if there'll be more of the, the bigger visual effects studios um, producing more content. I mean, you know, whether it's all fully animated That's the thing. or yeah. like becoming a studio, essentially. That's, that would be, that would be a great way to do it. Right. To be like, okay, well, listen, we produce most of the visual effects for these films. If you studios don't want to negotiate more favorable terms that allows us to thrive and pay our, our artists more and have, you know, like protections, like health insurance and pensions for these guys, then, we'll just start making our own visual effects films. Good luck trying to find a thousand more people to do this. And to be honest, I feel like I, I think for all the great things Netflix has done, Netflix is a very smart, savvy company. And I think they are probably in themselves trying to figure out a way to create their own visual effects studios as well. I've mm -hmm. heard of, I've heard of a lot of, people that work have worked with Netflix talking about a lot of the technology and their um, the guys that they're bringing on from big studios to, to try to run their visual effects departments. They have in-house VFX supervisors. I think they, as a company, probably see the benefit of entrenching themselves in this early and trying to establish their own in-house visual effects power or resources so that when they are inevitably you, you can bet when they are inevitably going to be making their own Marvel series universe that they have the resources to be able to efficiently and cost effectively create these visual effects. I already saw online that now Netflix is they're creating um, their own. Uh, virtualized workstations that they can lend to studios or artists oh, wow. that did you I see? I haven't read that. No, I was just, well, I was just about to say that they're um, they're a technology company. 
you know, yeah, exactly. And they've been developing. I mean, I, I, I hadn't heard about that yet, but they I, do. I, I have so, been reading about like how they're uh, developing their own standards. Yeah. That's like the open IO stuff or. Yeah. Is, they, you know? they are on the bleeding edge of all those things, the standards, because they want the highest quality, but they also already launched this. This is something uh, maybe not a lot of people know, but it's kind of for me, like, it's like a dog whistle to what's going to happen in the future that they have created their own. They have virtual workstations now that they create that they are basically leasing to visual effects studios that don't have enough resources to create um, or keep up with their demand. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's say you have, yeah, you have a studio, you have like 30 workstations and you need like 50 workstations and you can find freelancers, but you don't have the machines. They'll lend you 30 or 40 of their own workstations so that you can start creating um, uh, more work at a higher capacity. And it, for me, it's only a clear sign of what their intent is, right? Mm-hmm. To, to inevitably have their own visual effects studio where they can spin up 100, 200 workstations, maybe with artists around the world, and they can just have these guys jump on and just start working on shots for them. And they'll have their own visual effects supervisor in-house they'll have their own IO, right? Someone ingesting and they'll have their own pipeline. They've already showed that they've developed their own standards and pipeline. They'll just send out this document to each artist that's working, talented artists, junior artists, whatever. And they'll just, that's how they'll start farming visual effects back and forth. I can already see it. I already know that this is something that they're probably working on. Um, and it's probably that's not too wild. far in the future. Um, that's wild. Yeah. I'll send you the article. They all, yeah, I'll send, I can send you the article. And I remember reading it and I was like, damn, this is the, it's like, it's like the Terminator when, you know, like, you're like, okay, the machines are, they're coming for us. Like Netflix is definitely coming for us. That's wild. Jesus. I can't believe I never thought about that. Yeah. I've been following, like, you know, I've been following a lot of their tech stuff and I just, I never saw that coming. Yeah, it makes I mean, perfect sense. It does. It, and it, it it just does. Yeah, it's like they're a technology company. If anything they can do, they can figure out a way to deploy virtual workstations and virtual work machines to artists to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. If there's anything that can figure out is creating a pipeline with the resources they have to create visual effects more cost effective, you know, because um, they're a tech company. And just like any tech company, you have to believe that they're trying to cut costs in everywhere. And you just think about how much money visual effects, if you look at how much money goes into visual effects films, you're like, a lot of it is the visual effects, you know? So like, how do we cut down on visual effects? Maybe we cut out the middleman, like the way they cut out studios, you know, just cut out the visual effects studios. You create the visual effects yourself. It's the idea that Amazon, you know, it's kind of like the Amazon template of, of everything. It's like the Amazoning of everything. You know, how do we turn, Visual. How do we turn filmmaking into Amazon? We okay. We'll hire the directors. They've already done that. You hire directors in house. Hire the producers, the writers in house. We create our own studios, and then eventually, probably the last barrier in my mind is the visual effects. It's one of the last things that's hard. It's like you just figure out how to do the own visual effects yourself. Cut out the studios. Then you have all in house visual uh, Amazon film that's been created all in house from soup mm-hmm. to nuts. Imagine how much profit, you know, how much money do they spend 
uh, a year on creating films, you know, every aspect that they can cut costs. They don't need markups from visual effects studios. Why would they do that? It's amazing. Again, it's like we were saying earlier, I was trying to think about how to do with our little company, but like they're leveraging every processor cycle in those, in those data centers that they have. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. They already have that. Yeah. And for a company like Netflix, it creates a secondary revenue stream, you know, like exactly Amazon makes content, but some of the con shows they make are financed by the fact that you and I buy socks from, Amazon, yeah, exactly. you know, like that's the Netflix thing doesn't have that. Or and that's what you think about with a company like Amazon. Everyone's like, Oh yeah, Amazon, they're doing, they're making shows. They're making, that's like the smallest part of their business model is these mm -hmm. TV shows and content is just a way to get you to get Amazon prime to buy those socks. Right. You know, my wife learned what Amazon Web Services was for the first time, like two days ago when her Garmin watch stopped working, you know, because yeah. they had an outage like a, across the country. Here, I'll send you this right now. Uh, yeah, it was the scariest article I'd ever re re read, like from a visual effects standpoint. I was like, oh, man, this is terrifying if they make this like it's called and they posted it to everyone in a small blog post that like. Not very many people probably read. Wow. I just sent it to you. It's called Empowering. That's what they wrote. Empowering the visual effects community with NetFX platform. And if you read that, you can see how they would possibly be thinking of taking down <laughs> visual effects. I, I hate it when something that's called empowering really means, you know, taking them down. decapitating. Yeah, because yeah. you think about... Um, I remember, you know what? This is a funny thing. I might get in a lot of trouble for this, but whatever. I don't care. Um, We've been talking with Bilali Mac today. <laughs> well, I, I, I have our, I, I know Stu, um, some, I, I won't name any names, but I know visual effects um, EPs and uh, supervisors that have been saying that uh, when you're bidding on jobs for Netflix, for visual effects, they prefer, they want you to send them or they want you to bid it on their Excel spreadsheets. So they have spreadsheets where they want you to put in your numbers um, and kind of cor correlate how much you're charging for a roto, how much you're charging for um, uh, paint, how much you're charging for match move and all that stuff. And then they add it all up and they've been doing this not with one studio, but with multiple studios. And, and in my mind, the only reason i could imagine that instead of them wanting getting these bids and numbers from multiple studios the same way any other vendor probably or um client probably wants is so that they can figure out what the cost is of visual effects from multiple studios and use that against each other when you're when you're trying to get costs for shots right it's like hey actually on average but they, they weren't doing it just for any shot they're asking like on average how much time do you think it takes you to do a screen comp Mm -hmm. You know, right. on average, how much time does it take you guys to do a green screen? On average, how much time does it take you to put a CG, like, you know, cat into a shot? You know, they're trying to figure out how much time and resource it's going to take for them to do these things themselves. Um, and this is for me, I think, I think this came out July, in July, they put this out and it feels like that means this is like their test pilot. <laughs> It's it's very it's gonna happen soon. They're calling it Net Effects, yeah, a cloud-based platform that'll make that'll make it easier for vendors, artists, and creators to connect and collaborate on visual effects for our titles. <laughs> wow, man. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people, this might not have bothered a lot of people. And I don't think a lot of people are like writing any stories about it, but I'm like, they put it on their blog post. They're saying it in the title. Like, it's so obvious what this is, this is right. It's like, it's funny, you know, like it's this whole software as a service thing. I mean, I, I was, I've, I've, wow. I'm reading this now. <laughs> like, well, like even like at our, at I our know, studio, coming like for I the said, visual yeah. effects industry. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, you know, I've, I've mentioned now three times, you know, we started working on episodic stuff in the last year and a half or so yeah. at Lively. And, you know, we haven't had to go here yet. You know, like we, we've certainly gotten estimates from, from vendors to mm -hmm. go ahead and, and build all of the uh, security infrastructure we would need for, for whether it was for Netflix or Marvel or Disney or HBO yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's not cheap. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and here you go. I mean, yeah. no, it's gone. Don't have to worry about it anymore. I mean, yeah, exactly. And that's what they're, they, that's they their angle. Know. That's totally that's their angle. angle. Now, now what, what are, what are tech companies fantastic at, right? They're fantastic at capturing data. Yeah. If they have visual effects artists around the world working on shots. What kind of leverage do they have when they're negotiating with MPC on how much time it's going to take to finish, you know, an Avenger sequence? Mm -hmm. You know, like they have all, they'll have all of this data. If you don't think those machines that you're going to be remoting into that belong to them isn't capturing every single click that you're doing, mm -hmm. you got to be out of your mind. You know, they're going to know exactly how the work gets done. They're going to know what it takes to make the sandwich. They're going to know exactly everything that they need to know to make the, to have leverage for negotiating, but also to make the, um, make the things more cost effective, you know, it's, it's, it's very obvious to me. And it, it, it kind of, I was surprised that I'm not as many, I kind of joked with it. Another artist that kind of visual effects supervisor that I kind of chat with. And we sometimes feel like we're more like, um, we're more like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Conspiracy theorists. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, are we being conspiracy theorists right now reading this thing like this? And I was like, he was like, no, nah, I don't think so, man. I think this is definitely what's going to happen. Like, it's just a matter of time and we just have to figure out a way to adapt. And at the very bottom it says, click here. If you're a visual effects vendor supplier to receive the net effects platform updates, hmm, let's click there. <laughs> yeah. Where does it take you to? Well, yeah. Net effects. Yeah. Hey. Please review and agree these two things you're not going to read. Yeah, exactly. Either part of clicking yes. Oh, my God. Wow. That's when you sold your entire zip. Yeah, where, oh, where is your studio? Los Angeles. What expertise. It's pretty funny. Wow. And scary at the same time. <laughs> that's wild, man. Yeah, man, but that's definitely where it's going, I think. And, and I feel like if we had protections for visual effects art for, for our industry, we would have some kind of leverage as an industry to protect ourselves from stuff like this. But you can be sure when this happens, the industry as a whole is not going to have a way to protect itself because we're not united. You know, like we can't go up against the one studio can't go up against Netflix, but the entire visual effects industry can, right? If every visual effects artist was part of a union that had rules and ways of working and had agreed upon, they couldn't create something like this and just bulldoze over the entire industry. 
but they can because we're not united and we're weak as an industry. You know, we don't have a union. You couldn't do this to the DGA. You know, you couldn't like every every director that works for Netflix works through the DGA. They're 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 part of a union that protects them and has negotiating leverage. Visual effects artists are going to get fucked over and over in this play because they can't protect themselves together as a group. They can't work. We can't work together as a group. And we allow studios and agencies and, you know, networks to just bulldoze over us. And a lot of us complain about things like, yeah, well, like, I don't want to get blacklisted, which is totally fine. I understand that. But you got to understand, like, it's going to get to the point where, like, places like Netflix are going to, you're not even going to blacklist. You're just going to be like, you're just going to belong to them, basically. You're just going to belong to them. Yeah, but you can't it's, do that to directors. Writers have unions. They strike. If they strike, the shows stop. You know, every time writers are like, we're not doing this shit because you guys are taking advantage of us. It stops. Yeah, the shows stop. Shows stop. That should be it's what can happen with visual effects artists. You know, if if a Sony or Marvel doesn't want to degree with visual effects artists or visual effects industry, Avengers 7 is not coming out. Yeah, That's it. But it will come out because we this don't is- have any protection. This is amazing. I, you know, we've like in, on the commercial side, we've uh, been fighting for years against the, the agencies building their own facilities in house. Yeah. You know, there was a, there was some, uh, I think it was New York state investigation against an agency last year or the year before that <clears throat> was collecting bids from, from, uh, from vendors and then ultimately submitting their own in-house as, you know, like a, a fourth bid. Or yeah, something yeah, yeah, like that. yeah. And, yeah. and they got caught. Um, but we always hear about like, you know, these, the uh, agency has built a facility and they fail. Like they just yeah. can't keep up. They can't keep up yeah. with the craziness of, you know, serving that, that side of the business. Yeah. This is different. Totally. This is wildly different. Totally. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's infrastructure too. I mean, it's just like, wow. Yeah. This is coming. This will probably be down the pipe, and it'll probably be. They'll have this thing probably up and running with a few test studios. I, they already said at the bottom they actually have a couple studios. Yeah, Netflix mm-hmm. partner partners Frontier VFX and Gallivant VFX will be testing this out in Canada for 2021. So, I imagine you know 2022, 23, they have this thing up and running, mm-hmm. slowly growing. You know. Um, and they'll do it the way tech industries always do, cutting costs, making it more efficient, collecting data, bulldozing over mom and pop shops. <laughs> um, should, we, should we try to end this on a positive note? <laughs> yes, yes. Let's try, to, let's try to wrap this up on something positive. What are you, um, what are you thankful for this Christmas? No, um, Thanksgiving. Wow. I'm just, that's, I'm sorry, this just floors me. <laughs> I feel like you're going to be up all night reading this thing, looking yeah, into it. Yeah, be like, the, you know, lit just from the light of my monitor and, you know, you could time lapse my beard growing. Looking into every Netflix thing that they're doing. Oh um, yeah, and it, it's funny because they just, they tucked it away in their like Netflix technology blog. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, outside of this, though, I think, like I was saying, like, they're definitely going to try to do this. And they will, they will inevitably 
run into the same problems that, you know, and if an agency tried to, I feel like obviously they have more money and power or whatever, but one of the things that I think we have as a community is just, we do still have a very strong community for as visual effects artists around like the creative work and the respect for each other, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things that I feel like will hold true, you know, as an industry, we might not be the smartest business people, but we are very loyal. Yeah. We are very loyal and we are very creative and we, we respect the art. We respect the work that we do. And I think, I just hope that we can, come together. And I think a uh, great examples of that are us, us um, coming together as artists in, in times of need, when you hear another artist is struggling and, or you hear another artist that has like passed away, like, like Ivar and creating things for each other to try to support each other. And that's what I've always loved about like the flame community and like even the new community and like, uh, going to places like SIGGRAPH and, you know, like VIEW Conference, knowing that like we do, we do have strong communities as an industry and we have pl strong places virtually because we have this shared experience as artists that um, I feel like very few other artists and disciplines have. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I just hope that we can use those platforms and those communities to kind of be like, yeah, man, like let's, just try to figure out a way to look out for each other because I am seeing, I'm seeing unions like starting to pop up or try people trying to create unions um, and trying to protect each other. And I think as an industry that, that we just need to, we need to, we need to make sure that we, we kind of blare that stuff out. And, and I think it will, it will happen. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And one of the greatest things I think that has happened now is that like, as visual effects artists being remote people just seeing people being creative and creating things online, you know, putting stuff online, doing little demo tests and putting them on Instagram. That's what I actually love about the access to social media as visual effects artists is like that. You see these like random Instagram channels where like people are posting all these really cool, like, visual effects tests that they're doing or these funny visual effects gags. Like one of my favorite things that I always see is like visual effects artists um, that have kids and they put their kids in these like situations where there's like volcanoes exploding around them. Oh and yeah. It's raining and they're like the thunderstorm. Boat, uh, the, the boat in the rainstorm. And exactly. Boat in the rainstorm. And, yeah. and what I love about that is that you realize how creative and inventive visual effects artists are and how, how smart and, adept at creating stories that they can be. And I think that is one of the things that makes me very hopeful that things like this won't take over because visual effects artists that are really good are fantastic storytellers as well. You know, you have to really understand a story to be able to be a really good visual effects artist or else your effect won't land, you know, it won't have an impact. And I think the more visual effects, the more visual effects artists see themselves as storytellers as well, the more they'll be able to use, leverage those skills to try to show themselves in that light as storytellers that are actually just using visual effects as another medium. And with that power and that agency, it allows us to be able to create things that can't be taken away from us, right? Because you can, you can find a bunch of people that'll roto stuff or match move stuff, but you won't find that many people that are fantastic at creating awesome stories or composing shots 
with visual effects that look great. You know, you need a really good, strong visual effects artist that has a good, strong sense of story. And the guys that can do that, they're not going to be like bought up or, you know, taken over by virtual machines. You know, you can make things cheaper, but you can't, you can't tell better stories with net effects or whatever this net, this thing is that's coming. Right. There's, um, and, you know, I, uh, there's a thing I've, I've said for ever. It seems like that there, there've been work processors on everybody's computer in America, at least for 30 years where, so everybody's had an access, has had access, universal access to the tool to like write a book. Where's, Where's the yeah. great influx of American literary works come just because everyone has access to the tool, you know? I love that. Uh, yeah, it, that's it, true. It, it comes back. Thank you. Uh, it comes back to what I, what I said, you know, before from that colleague of mine, it's, there's never been a better time to be exceptional. Yeah, exactly. You know? And, so. and in our community, I think we have some of the most exceptional artists that you will ever get the chance of meeting or working with. It takes such an incredible, amount of creativity but also understanding of technology it's like the that's what i've loved about our industry is a perfect blend of technology of creativity yep. of storytelling that very few people that can can blend together so seamlessly to tell awesome stories and i think like you said they'll you'll be able to find uh, after effects or adobe after effects or whatever and um, but you won't be able to you won't be able to replicate the, the great visual effects artists or storytellers. You know, it's the same thing, like you said, with the word processor. And and for me, circling back to what I was saying in the beginning is like the shame for me is that like when I see like a cool, fun visual effects gag or something on TikTok or on Instagram, I'm like that person could be a great visual effects artist. You know, they they're so creative and so smart with these limited resources if they had the training and the skill, they could create some incredible visual effects. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where I think you should focus on as an industry is like trying to foster those creatives and those artists as a community, that kind of work, you know? Agreed. Yeah. All right, man. Well, this was cool. awesome. My yeah. God. Great. This is fantastic. I mean, I'm going to be up for the next 20 hours. <laughs> <laughs> But, Isn't that thing scary? I remember oh, the first man. time I read it. I read it the very first time. I was like, like wait, what? <laughs> I, I'm not kidding you. I haven't read something that has made me want to like like look at my resume so fast. Mm. As soon as I finished this thing, I was like, God damn, I gotta get my fucking reel together. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally like, shit, if this fucking hits and they start figuring out the, how to make this way more cost effective. It's going to shake up the whole industry. I was like, I got to start looking for that job at Netflix. Yep. <laughs> it was like, we're, I mean, we're, uh, we were just on a, a huge job. That's why I, I had to push this a week. I mean, you were busy too, but like where our, our CG department were spinning up, you know, virtual machines, I think it was on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. I AWS. forget what we were using, but like, and trying to figure out how can we do this? I mean, we're, it's, it's just, you're just hemorrhaging profit at that point, you know? When, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. They won't have to worry about that. They won't have to worry about that. I mean, that's everything. <laughs> mm -mm. Oh my God. They won't have to worry about it at all. Yeah. All right. Well, let me go sharpen a few pencils. <laughs> <laughs>
and it's and, so you know, scary reading I'll it. review mine if you review I'll review yours if you review mine yeah exactly <laughs> I'll send you my reel to take a look <laughs> give me some notes oh my god um but yeah it's kind of scary man I don't know I, I I was worried I mean it's not obviously it's not gonna happen right now but like I feel like with COVID, I think they really probably made a big push as COVID-19 hit, right? Mm -hmm. Because before, when we were in studios, like, you could, like, they're, they're, you, if someone was working in a studio, there's less chance that you could be like, okay, let's pull, like, five of their artists to start working on our net effects thing. It was like, no, I go to a studio every day, and I sit, and I work on my machine here. You got all these visual effects artists that are just sitting at home now. They're like, Oh man, I, I coat. Yeah. Sign me up. Netflix has their own workstation that they'll just sign me up and I can just jump on and just start doing shots. And the pipeline is like, they're like, yep, it's a perfect streamlined pipeline, no hiccups. You know, you just need a hundred big, hundred megabit internet. And that's the only thing you have to worry about. And maybe a monitor, maybe we'll even lease out monitors to you, like really nice monitors. We'll send them to your house. You just uh, package I could imagine it getting to the point where it's just like they send you a monitor, a Wacom tablet, and this yeah. it lands in your in your office or whatever. You open it up, link it up with a fucking manual, and there you go. Yep, pop you plug up in visual effects and, and it, it takes care of everything else. Mm -hmm. You don't have exactly. to configure anything. It all hooks back to the mothership and uh, done and, and done. Yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm just like, what's been what my mind has been racing on is is like you said, you know that what. When you think about the data analytics they ran on the spreadsheets from everybody's bids, and then you extrapolate that to the data analytics they're going to run on everybody's working on shots. Yeah, you know, it's, they're going to have uh, it all. It's amazing. That's they're going to have it all. I'm simultaneously so like uh, in awe and in fear of of uh, data analytics. You yeah, know, like it's it's amazing and frightening at the same time you know and the, the scary thing is like it gives them such clarity even they'll have a clearer picture of what it takes for vfx to be done than any other studio they'll have a clearer picture. what other studio is analyzing their data and their numbers at the level that netflix could you know nobody there's no way mpc frame store any of these huge studios they don't have the resources to be analyzing data the way because their main job is to make the visual effects work, you know, obviously I think they're taking, they're understanding P and L and they're looking at how many hours it takes to do roto or whatever, like it's loosely correlated and it's like maybe 80, 75% accurate. They will have an understanding of not only like NPCs numbers, frame storage, they'll probably test it and beta at all the other studios and have mm -hmm. a very strong understanding of the global visual effects landscape. Cause in the beginning here, you're looking at, the name of the studios that they're doing this with, they're they're partnered with Frontier VFX, Gallivant VFX, and then Anabrain, which is a visual effects studio in India, which I've worked with before. They're gonna they're gonna be looking at Bangalore, all these Indian studios. They're gonna have a picture of the entire global visual effects landscape, how much it costs, you know, how much time it takes, what they'll probably know what countries have better faster artists for match move versus yep. track versus, oh, you know, versus roto versus paint versus oh. they'll know all of it they'll know all of it you'll be yeah. like oh you want to do paint make sure you send it to singapore they've got the fastest best artists do it there you know you want to do some match moves send it to california even though they're more expensive they're actually more efficient you know they'll actually know that stuff that none of us actually knows 
um, it'll be like you said, it's scary, but man, to be in that room and looking at that information, that would be, That'd be awesome. pretty wild. <laughs> It'd be wow. pretty wild looking at what they're looking at right now. And I'm sure they already have stuff that they're looking at that we would just be like, fuck, I didn't know they know that. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, this was great, Andy. It was awesome talking awesome. to you. Yeah, yeah, it was really great hanging with you, man. I, I can't wait to like, you know, see you face to face. Yeah, know, hopefully. Shit's over. Yeah, shit, man. All right, buddy. Well, talk to you soon. You got it. Have a great weekend, man. You too. Okay, bye. This episode of The Logic Podcast is brought to you by Cinesis.io. To find out more about their remote workflow solutions, check them out at Cinesis.io. See you next time.